How does success happen? How is a failure overcome? Every entrepreneur has a story to tell. On the Life's Risks and Rewards podcast, we invite local entrepreneurs for a conversation about the challenges they've faced and the successes they've earned. Hello, I'm your host, Patrick Chamberlain of Allen Insurance and Financial. Our guest today is Greg Suchier. Greg and his wife, Lauren, are the owners of the Craigner Inn and Causeway Restaurant down in Clark Island, Spruce Head, Maine. Greg, how are you doing today? Doing well, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it. I've really enjoyed your restaurant over the years, and I know many others in the community have. I know it means a lot that you agreed to do the podcast with us. If you can give me just kind of a brief summary of your story and how you ended up as an owner of the Craigner Inn and Causeway Restaurant. So a little over three years ago, uh, Lauren and I purchased the, the Inn and Restaurant. We were working corporate jobs in Boston. We didn't see each other a lot during the week. We would work 50, 60 hour weeks. And uh, you know, we decided at some point that even though we, we both enjoyed our jobs, they maybe weren't things that we wanted to do for the rest of our lives. So we started brainstorming on, and thinking about ways we could, we could do something for ourselves and, and do that together. Anytime we would travel, we would always end up in, uh, in smaller family operated uh, B&Bs and hotels and things like that. So we, we thought that was a good place to start looking. And over the course of about two years, we took a couple of beginner like online courses uh, that give an overview of, of B&B ownership to, to see if it was something we wanted to dig into further and started looking at property. And after about a year of, of actively looking, we found the Craig Nair Inn on the market here in the mid coast of Maine and uh, decided that was the one. That's fantastic. I know a lot of people have probably dreamed of leaving the corporate world to take on an endeavor like that. And uh, not only is that some risk that you guys took, but it's obviously worked out well and you've ended up in a very, very beautiful part of Maine. We've been very fortunate to, to not only find a, a good existing business that, that we could expand on and grow, but to be in a, a beautiful location and to be in a, in a really supportive and great community as well. What is something that you know now that you wish you had known right off the bat? I think the thing that was the most surprising to both Lauren and I, being from different areas of the country and, and living in, in larger cities for most of our adult lives was just how much different owning and operating a business in a, in a smaller coastal community was, was going to be. Uh, things like staffing and challenges with getting product and challenges with distributors and, and just a lot of things that, that wouldn't have been on our radar before owning a hotel at the end of a dead-end road down a peninsula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you guys, you know, with the timing of the pandemic and everything, everyone in the hospitality industry, like you said, the supply issues, the, you know, the workforce issues. I know that's, that's not just industry specific. I mean, everyone's dealing with those challenges. So kudos to you for uh, persevering through. Yeah. It was surprising even the, our first year of ownership before the pandemic, how there were still some of those issues with a lot of distributors and, and operators in the state that just refused to drive off of Route 1 and, and drive down the peninsula to, to deliver product to us. So we're really limited in, in what we could offer our guests. But in the past couple of years, as we've grown the restaurant more and, and been in operation year round, um, we've been able to, to draw in some of those, some of those suppliers and, and local purveyors that, that weren't really interested in, in helping us out in the smaller environment. Yeah, while you are down on Clark Island, I mean, you're only like eight minutes from Route 1. And 131 is a great road. So I'm sure, you know, now that you've been there, established yourself, you've built some relationships with some of those suppliers and uh, 
they want to keep doing business. I had a beer distributor last year tell me that it was taking their driver an extra hour to come to us in between two other stops on Route 1. And I told them that they must be uh, taking a lunch break or... They must be taking the ferry to Monhegan. Yeah, it's like, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way. I, I can't believe it. What is the best advice you have ever received? And it doesn't have to have anything to do with your business. So for me and, and for Lauren and I, I think we try and try and have an open mind and, and consider all advice. So, you know, especially in this business, we get a lot of advice that's maybe a little unsolicited, but hearing from our, our hotel and restaurant guests on, on what they think could, could improve our business and, and give them a better experience is, is always helpful. It may not necessarily apply to, to our vision for the restaurant or hotel, but hearing from everybody and, and getting feedback is always, always helpful for us. The other thing that we, we get told a lot is people keep telling us to just, just to continue doing what we're doing. And, and that, that means a lot to us because we've, we've put in a lot of work the last couple of years. And, and to hear that affirmation really just makes us feel good about the process and, and that we're still heading in the right direction. For me, being a customer and someone in the local community that's on social media a lot, there was a point with the restaurant where it was like a turning point and it just blew up and it became a very, very popular place to eat for brunch for dinner. And it was when you, I believe it was when you had a change with your chef. And I don't know if you want to introduce him or whatnot, but the guy is like famous in Midcoast, Maine. Uh, the food is phenomenal. There's folks throughout the community that I know who are taking pictures of themselves down at your restaurant, uh, posting it on social media, and they've never been there before. And they'll, you know, they'll be like, I've never been here. It was amazing. I cannot wait to come back. Your chef will come out, take a picture with them. You'll be in there with a photo. I mean, it's great to see, really. Yeah, Chef Fernando, I think, was the, was the start of the turning point. It was about six months in after he's been at the restaurant that we really felt that switch. You know, and, and we all have kind of different ways that, that we, we act. And for Chef, his, his cooking, how he presents his food and how... The rest of us in the restaurant present his food is is kind of his his love language. That's that's what he's really proud of. That that keeps him going through forty plus years of being in the industry and and working for restaurants and, and big name hotels all around the world. And and just for him to to find us and for us to connect together in in the coast of Maine here as as he nears his retirement has has been something really special. And and I think uh, a lot of people in the area are are um, able to benefit from that. Yeah. And I, and I just want to say, I, I don't want to, I wasn't insinuating that the restaurant wasn't great before he was there, but it seemed like, it just seemed like there was some sort of chemistry and, and, and it took off once, once he came on, on board, I, you know, and everything you speak to is true. You can tell he really puts a lot of care into his cooking and it's definitely a passion of his. It's not just a job. He's not just there to make a paycheck. And, uh, I know that we appreciate that. Leah, my fiance, she loves going down and, and talking to him because he's just so full energy about what he's doing. He loves, uh, he does love any opportunity to get out of the kitchen and, and to come visit with the tables. And, uh, you know, usually that happens towards the end of the night uh, when, when things start to slow down. But we do monthly tasting dinners all through the winter and, and do different events where he's, he's able to, to have a little more time to, to kind of visit and, and enjoy being the face of, of his food instead of being behind closed doors. Tell us a little bit about these, the tasting dinners, because those are very popular. We actually have our next one coming up in a couple of days. They usually sell out weeks in advance. Uh, we do, he prepares five to six courses where we pair with um, either local distributors or local wineries or distilleries or breweries across the state. 
and we've been doing them for about a year and a half now. So this coming week, we've got six courses of Italian wine with Italian cuisine, and we've been sold out on that for a couple of weeks here. So yeah, they're just a lot of fun, and especially going through the winter, it gives gives a lot of people in, in the community uh, something to look forward to each month and something to, to get out of the doors for in, in January and February when, uh, when it's a little dark and cold out. Yeah, change things up. If you haven't been, got to get a ticket early. What, Facebook? Is that the best way to see when those we, happen? We or? do post a little bit on our Facebook and Instagram social media accounts for the Causeway restaurant, but they mostly fill up even before we have, have a menu or, or theme set up from month to month. It's, it's a lot of people that, that just have been to them or have been to the restaurant and have heard about them and just say, sign me up. I want to come. Mm -hmm. So the best way to get signed up is to go to the restaurant, have dinner, ask Greg, when is the next one? Get me on the list. There we go. Yep. I like that. So where do you turn to when you need inspiration? And what's your favorite productivity tool? A little, a little twofer there. <laughs> I think all of us need, you know, have times in our lives where we, we need to be inspired. Um, I think for a lot of people that that means looking to professional athletes and celebrities and, and people that are known all around the world. But I think really most of us, if we look at our, at our inner circle and, and our, our friends and family, there's, there's plenty to be inspired by on a day-to-day -day basis. I mentioned Lauren a little bit earlier. She works a, a lot behind the scenes in the restaurant, in the hotel, where I'm a, a lot of times out in the restaurant and, and mingling, which I enjoy. But these last few months, she's been working on some consulting for her former company in Boston that's, that's really been physically and mentally exhausting for her. And on top of that, she's still working on, on projects to get some in-rooms renovated and ready for the summer. She manages to, to make time for all of our staff and make sure everybody's happy and enjoying being a part of the team. And she makes sure everybody gets paid every week. So that, uh, that's important as well. But you know, I think sometimes we, we don't give each other enough credit and our, our friends and family where we're all pushing through and all have, have hard times. But you know, we, it's just easy to, you know, other, other business owners or other, other friends that, that are successful in their own jobs and careers and, and businesses. It's, it's, it's better to, to support each other and, and push through those, those times where we need a little inspiration rather than, uh, I think, looking, looking elsewhere. Perseverance. I think that's, uh, that's something that's super important and it might be getting lost in some of our youth, but I've got, um, a good friend of mine that I grew up with outside of St. Louis, one of my oldest friends who's a professional musician in New York City, and he's been there about 15 years. He's also um, kind of picked up long distance running as well uh, with a little help from me over the, over the years. But he's, um, you know, he works harder than anybody I've probably ever known at, at what he wants to do. And it's hasn't been an easy road for him. And I'm trying to support him when we can. And, uh, you know, he's always grinding away. And so that, you know, that's easy to look at. And I know it's that's a hard life, but you know, that's easy to, to look at and, and be inspired by. Yeah. So that's a good segue into some social media posts that I saw yesterday. <laughs> I have to ask you, what inspired you to run the Boston Marathon from start to finish and then from finish to start? <laughs> that's a popular question. I had heard about it years ago before I ever ran my very first Boston Marathon. I had heard that there was this, this group of people that that go out super early the morning of the race and, and start at the finish line and, and run out to the start line and then run the race back. So I had kind of heard about this years earlier and kind of forgot about it as I, as I started to, to train and get a little quicker and was eventually able to, to qualify for my first Boston marathon, which I ran in 2013, which if 
you may or may not be familiar was the year of the, the marathon bombings. I had already finished the race and, and had kind of gotten cleaned up in a hotel. My running club rented rents every year and was heading back down to the finish line where I knew a lot of people that were about to be finishing. When the, the two bombs went off, I was a couple of blocks away and it was unfortunate and, and a terrible and unforgettable experience. But that the that 2013 Boston Marathon was my fastest ever marathon I've ever run. But from that year on, I always decided that it was just going to be a fun day and a celebration for me. And what I thought was, you know, a good way to to honor the community. And and so in 2014, I went out and just smiled the whole way and weather was perfect. And it was about the best, best weather you can ask for. But after that, I, I remembered about this, this Boston double marathon that I had heard some about years earlier and talked to a couple of friends. And uh, so we decided to do it, do it that year. I think I'd, I've done it four years now. That was the first. And it just is, is such an incredible way to experience such a historic thing when you start at five o'clock in the morning when there's nobody else out on the course, when they're still putting up barricades and it's pitch black out. And as you run and get closer to the start line, the course starts waking up, the sun comes up. People are starting to to gather in the early spots and get a good get a good spectating spot a couple hours before the race starts. The the kids on Boston College are already uh, already out uh, drinking, and it's just it's pretty incredible to to kind of see that transformation on the way out, and then hang out in in Hopkinton for a couple hours and turn around and and come back and see it awake. Yeah, the video of you having a cold one on Heartbreak Hill, you actually made running a marathon look fun in the video. <laughs> and I have to remind myself that, ah, oh, he's, you know, <laughs> there's some, you know, he's, there's some pain there. Well, there were more than, more than a few beers had uh, on my out and back excursions. So what's your best time at the Boston Marathon? 2.54 and change is my, is my fastest marathon there. Moving. It's, uh, Moving. It's quick. That is quick. Not, uh, you know, there's a lot of faster guys out there, but. What's know, the longest run you've done? Uh, the furthest I've ever run without stopping was uh, 143 miles and change in a um, 24-hour time period. It's unbelievable. Is there a name for that race? So there's, um, it's a style of race. There are um, fixed time races where they vary in, in time length, um, usually 8, 12, 24, or 48-hour races where everybody's on the same closed course and essentially whoever runs the furthest uh, wins the race. So I feel like there's some connection between know, the perseverance that you need to run a race like that and running a business. It has been a much more direct connection than I would have thought prior to owning a business, but, but the kind of the mental toughness and the, the endurance that Lauren and I both had coming from uh, long distance running and long distance triathlon where we met has, uh, has definitely, I think, made us better business owners. How do you define risk? It's a good question. And I think it's, I'm sure it's different for all of us, but for me personally, the biggest biggest risk I can imagine is to not to live life to the fullest. And that kind of I've tried to apply to, to all aspects of my life, whether that's owning and operating a business, loving, loving someone or, or running as far as I can possibly run in, in any given period of time or to something as simple as just enjoying, enjoying the everyday moments of life, you know, to me is, is too risky not to. I'm sure we all have, have bad days and we have, you know, stressful times, but not seeing the other side of that and not taking the time and energy to to get through that is you know i think is is an even greater risk fill in the blank my industry would be better off if i think operating and, and owning a hotel and restaurant i think the, the hospitality industry in general would be a, a lot better off and and actually probably the 
a lot of the world would be a lot better off if, if everybody was somehow mandated to work in, in the hospitality environment for six months before they turned you know, 21 or 25 or whatever that number was. I think if, if everybody, no matter where you come from, no matter your demographic or how much money and influence your family has, if everybody had to wait on somebody else and, and take care of somebody else for three or six months of their lives, I think there'd be a lot more compassion and a lot more uh, empathy to go around. I think the world would be a much better place. I remember working in a restaurant in Utah for five years. And yeah, I mean, it's a great experience. Uh, it was my first real customer service job. Before that, I was a commercial fisherman. So really the polar opposite. You never talk to anybody except for one other person. <laughs> yeah, but I, I completely agree. What have you read or listened to recently that inspired you? Uh, so kind of along the lines of, of the endurance, being an endurance athlete, there's um, a friend of mine who I've known for, for many years. His name is Tommy Puzzi, nickname is Rivers. He's a, he's a professional triathlete, professional endurance runner out of Arizona. And a couple of years ago, right about at the onset of COVID, he started to become very sick and was presumed to be COVID for, for many months and long haul. And eventually after months and months in the hospital, and he was diagnosed with a very rare form of, of leukemia that took almost a year to diagnose and put him in a coma for many months. And this guy is literally one of the fittest fittest human beings on the planet and, and to hear. So he was interviewed on the Rich Roll podcast a few months ago, maybe December or January. I made a note. It's a episode 648 of the Rich Roll podcast where he talks about how that impacted him and his family and what he went through to not only survive, but to, to come back. And, and this guy is one of the most positive human beings, one of the most empathetic, even before this has happened to him. And, and he, he says that it going through this experience has turned in into a better person. And, and for him to think that, you know, from an outsider looking in, to think that, that he could already, you know, knowing how kind and, and such a good human that he already is, for him to think that he can be a better person really, you know, I think leaves us all to, to think about and, and know that we can always be improving and, and doing better. That's powerful. Great answer. What's one thing you really want to learn how to do? I've always wanted to learn how to play the piano. I mean, I have a piano at the, at the hotel. I just haven't got around to, to sitting down and figuring out how to do it. But just one of those things when I was a kid, I, I, I never played a musical instrument. I, I don't even think I would be very good at it, but I think I would like to, to learn how to, how to sit and play the piano. And I think I would enjoy that. And I think that your guests would enjoy you playing the piano, man, during cocktail I'm hour. I'm not sure if they would or not. <laughs> not at this stage, maybe. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Greg. Thanks for coming. Would you please let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, our, um, our website is craignair.com. So that's C-R-A-I-G-N-A-I-R.com. And that's, that's got uh, information for our hotel and restaurant there. Um, our social medias are, are the best, best ways to find. Um, we are at Craignair Inn for Facebook and Instagram, and then at Causeway at Craignair for Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, and those have the most up-to-date information. We've got a lot, of, a lot of great photos from our chef. You can find and follow him there as well. He, uh, he always keeps, keeps everybody up-to-date on, on what specials he's working on. Awesome. Check him out on all the platforms. And that will do it. Thank you all for listening. This is your host, Patrick Chamberlain. At Allen Insurance and Financial, we offer insurance and financial planning products that help individuals, families, businesses, and organizations of all types navigate life's risks and rewards.
For more information about this podcast, the services we offer, and the great team of people who offer them, visit allenif.com slash podcast. Until next time.